and we're back. I'm James. This is the Goose Fan Podcast. I'm Luke. I'm Mike. And I'm Brent. And I'm James. Hey, James. Baseball season started since we recorded last. Yeah. Did you have a game last week? One. How'd it go? Good. Did you score a run? Yeah. Did you get a hit? Yeah. No, you, you walked. Uh, yeah. Did you guys you, you lean walk. into it? Yeah. So one of the poor kids whose dad might listen to the pod um, he got hit and everyone's like, yeah, take your base, walk it off. Turns out he broke his thumb. So oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> He'll be all right, though. Would that be uh, one of the coach's kids? No. No. Okay. No. Um, do you know how many hits there were between the two teams in this uh, minor baseball game? Three. You know how many runs were scored? Six. Six for us, and how many for the other team? Four. Ten runs, three hits. And wild thing on the mound, huh? (laughs) There was so many walks. It was great. The boys had a great time. Hey, anything else you want to say say to the Grizz fans? James, who who was your favorite player of the spring? I know you went to both games. Hmm. Or players can be plural. You can't narrow it to one. You kind of like the new running back, um, Xavier Harris. You seem to like him. Mm-hmm. We like guys that score touchdowns, don't we? Okay. <laughs> what do you think of the quarterbacks, Cam Humphrey or Chris Brown? Cam. See, James is a Cam guy. He's a loyalist, yes. kind of like Brent. Yes. It's because he's right. a senior, right? <laughs> All right. So, hey, you know who we have on the show tonight? We have Riley. You can see him on the screen there. And he is the voice of the Grizz, which means he does all the radio games, basketball and football. Pretty cool, huh? All right. Anything else, bud? What about soccer? I think he's jumped into all the other sports. A bit. He does some softball. That's fierce. You know, does it on Pluto. We've heard him before. Especially this year when we didn't get to go to the games. All right, bud. Thanks for coming down. Thanks, James. So uh, the aforementioned Riley Corcoran, uh, Finally, here we are. You know, this is like season three of the Grizz Fan Pod, and we finally, we finally, got you. guys. This this feels like it, it is a long time coming, to <laughs> say the least. I couldn't appreciate the invite more. I know that we've been trying to schedule this. I will fully take credit for the for one time of trying to schedule this thing, and that was when the Dodgers were in the postseason run. I believe <laughs> last October. And I did sneak down to Texas to watch the World Series. So I, I promise, I am sorry. I will take full uh, full credit for that not working out. But I am so glad that uh, we're doing this now. And, I, and honestly, I think it's pretty fitting because we're going to talk about this spring season and get everybody excited for the fall, right? I think we all four can do that together. I think so. And I, I think if you're going to miss a podcast, going to the World Series to, t- to see your team win – We'll allow it. <laughs> if I if I can give you guys any credit at all, I mean, when I was down there and I'm like, gosh, I really feel bad. I, I'm, I'm ditching those guys because I'm going to be at game four tonight. Uh, just so you know, you were at least in my head. You were in my head. I felt bad that I was ditching you to go to the World Series. So that's, that shows you how much validity this podcast has. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so one thing we like to do when we've got people on for the first time, um, especially kind of, you know, guys in the media or, or, or people that the fans might know is have you tell us a little about your backstory? Like, you know, I don't think for instance, 
a lot of our fan base necessarily knows what your job was immediately before, you know, being voice of the grid. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got here. Okay. Do I, do I have a, like a time limit or anything or are we, because yeah. I can give you the short version, the long version. As long I as it's good uh, content, do what you need to do. Okay. I'll give you the hybrid version in between. Okay. We'll go hybrid. I grew up in Billings, um, went to Billings central, um, grew up a Grizz fan through and through. And that was debated after once I tell you what my previous job was going into this thing, but I grew up a Grizz fan because when I was growing up, this will reveal my age a little bit, it was during the streak. And, and so to me, I say this candidly and seriously, there was only one team in the state when mm-hmm. I was growing up. There was not a team in Bozeman. And so I grew up a Grizz fan and and uh, through my family and everything in between, I had connections to Grizz tickets. And so it was an annual trip a year up to Missoula to watch games, whether it's one game or two games. So that created my love for Grizz fandom. As far for me... I knew that I wanted to work in sports at a young age. I think a lot of people do, right? Probably all four of us on here do, and a lot of people listening wanted to. For some reason, and I wasn't terrible, I wasn't a great athlete, guys, but I just knew at 12 years old, like, you're not going to play professionally. You're probably not going to play collegially. So why don't you go try and find something else in the sports media world that's not playing, and so you can work in sports and love what you do. Well, my sport was baseball growing up and I, you know, I went through the get all stars as a 12 year old, 14 year old and constantly playing and coming home from practice and doing that, that routine in the summer. And when I got home at eight o'clock every night, there was this team that always came on TV and it was the Dodgers. And every night my folks, I mean, we didn't have any geographical allegiance to a team and, and I just loved the game of baseball. I didn't, I didn't love a team maybe particularly at that age. And I always found myself on the Dodger game late at night. And, you know, after about a month or two, I started figuring out, okay, why am I always watching the Dodgers? Even though I don't, I don't care who they play. It truly was because of Vin Scully and and Vin Scully is the legendary broadcaster, the voice of the Dodgers forever. And I absolutely fell in love with the game even more than I already did with the art of broadcasting a ton. And from that moment on, every decision that I made was based off of creating the best play-by-play career or opportunities that I could. And that eventually led me to Washington State, where I I called a lot, a ton of games. I mean, football, basketball, baseball, everything in between. My goal the entire time was to be the voice of a school. That Obviously, I love the passion of college sports. And a lot of people, you know, might ask, okay, do you want to go to the professional level? Collegiate is where it's at for me because the passion that's there, and this is a great example of that, what we're doing right now, is unprecedented. And I uh, just made every life-based decision because of that. After Washington State, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit. First job was in Boise um, as a sports talk radio host, calling high school games, um, continuing to get more experience, went to North Carolina for a year to be the one-man band for a baseball team, which was a unique experience, but helped me uh, help appreciate maybe the behind-the-scenes people a lot more of what it takes, sports information directors, producers behind the scenes, website designers, all of that stuff. And then my job, and I will tell the backstory to help justify it. Not that I need justification, but maybe for our fans out there, just so it's out there, um, after five years of being Voice of the Grizz, I want to put that out there too, is I was in North Carolina and I, and I met the head of Learfield, uh, VP of broadcasting, Tom Bowman. And I told him, I said, wherever it is in the country, whatever it is, I I want to get into collegiate broadcasting, whether that's number one or the number two somewhere. And he goes, 
you're in luck. I have one job open currently. And it's a tough feel because we all know this, right, right, guys? And I know we're talking about Mick Colleen by the end of this show for sure. But these jobs do not turn over very long. There's a reason why they don't turn over very long. They're awesome jobs. And so there's not that much turnover every year. So the limited opportunities, you literally have five to 600 young broadcasters that would just absolutely go anywhere in the country. I was one of them. Well, the job that came open was the number two at Montana State. And Tom Bowman's looking at me going, hey, you can go close to home. It's great. You're in North Carolina. It's a perfect fit. I said, Tom, I, I don't think you, you know there's one aspect of this. I said, I grew up a diehard Grizz fan. And my eventual job that I'd like to have someday will be the voice of the Grizz. So I get what you're saying. And I would love this opportunity. And I don't want to say no to you. But as long as I know that this will not count me out for being the voice of the Grizz someday, I will jump in. And so, as they say, the rest is history. I was the number two at Montana State as the women's basketball play-by-play sideline reporter for MSU. And then when Mick announced his retirement, it was uh, the full-court press, guys. And, and we all know that life is about opportunity. And that kind of presented myself. And, and timing was everything. I am so lucky and fortunate to be where I'm at today and talking with you guys. But that is the... I don't know what the time was on that, but that's about as, as short as I can tell my life story from growing up in Billings to where I'm at right now talking to you guys. That's awesome. Uh, a little bit about how you develop into a play-by-play uh, guy. Beyond like the, you know, practicing, getting, um, you know, your first gigs, would you ever you know, or at what point in time did you start like doing it in your head or by yourself at home while you're watching other sports? <laughs> Great question. And I think all of us have that kind of that image of, okay, if you just called the game to yourself, if nobody's watching, how often do you do it? I started doing that about a freshman as a freshman in high school. Wow. And I would <laughs> love the process of preparing and we're, we'll get into that too. I mean, with these spotter boards, I know I've told you guys about it, but I, I've got it for visual for you guys at least to see today. But the prep is where it's all at for me. And I started doing that seriously as a freshman in high school, just wanting to call games. I would record games. I would prep for them. I would make sure that I didn't see the score of it. And then I would call it a day later and record it and try and start listening. And it sounds so nerdy of me. And it's still, I mean, hey, trust me. It's nerdy. I'll admit right now. It's very, but at 15 years old, that's how I wanted to feel like I got ahead of the curve. And I guess maybe in some form or fashion, it worked out. That's you know, amazing. yeah, I mean, I, I think that's great. And I also think that you, you call it nerdy, but that's also how people get prepared to do things. So it's like, you know, the, the person who never will take the time to be dedicated to anything often doesn't achieve things like that. So setting out to do that, you know, that's awesome. And we'll overlook the the whole cats thing. I mean, we're, you know, thank you. We, we can handle that. <laughs> I'm a Grizz, but you guys don't even realize my first year on the job. I mean, you got, you got two full. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I said, you know, the shoes you have to fill with Mick Holine. Mm-hmm. Well, trust me, I know that. And I listened to Mick growing up. And then on top of that, coming from Bozeman and then number three, trying to tell people, trust me, I was a Grizz fan growing up. Between all three of those things, my first year was very stressful for that, uh, for those reasons, for sure. Um, so, you know, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times, but obviously, you know, replacing a guy like Mick who, you know, 
maybe wasn't quite ready to retire, but was, you know, it was, it was what it was. And the job was open and you have nothing to do with that. So it's like, how do you step into something like that? What was that like? It was a tough process. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you guys at all because, and I think the reason that it became tougher and I want to, I, I feel this in my heart for sure is I understood what I was stepping into. I feel that maybe someone from an outsider that, that didn't know Micheline or, or might just say, okay, yeah, this guy did it for 31 years, but you know, I'm me and I can do it. I, I listened to Mick growing up and my love for Grizz games. I mean, whether it was a Grizz blowout in the third quarter and I was leaving with my dad in the fourth quarter so we could start going to Billings. You know, we listened to Mick obviously. So that was the voice of my childhood in some regards. So to me, filling in or, or taking over for him, it, it was tough. I mean, that was the, the number one, I would say, conflict coming into this. And I knew it, and I wanted to make sure that, that Mick and I were on the same page. And to Mick's credit, and rest in peace, Mick, and we'll talk about his funeral services that are coming up here in the second week in May. But he was nothing but gracious to me. And we chatted in Reno, honestly, in March when he knew he was going to be done. And I said that I was a finalist for this job and nothing but gracious. And we talked the entire time, but it was a big burden for me. And I mean, burden in a, in a good way, as far as the ultimate sign of respect that I wasn't going to come in here and have a learning curve. Like, you know what you're stepping into yeah. and you're replacing the voice of the Grizz. And I know I have that as my Twitter handle, but I know who the voice of the Grizz was when <laughs> I came in here. And I, it was the ultimate sign of respect. And honestly, I would like to think that looking back on it in hindsight, it motivated me that much more to be on my A game. Or if I didn't feel like I was ready for any aspect of the job that I was taking, I tried to, to take that much more preparation going into it. So it's the ultimate sign of respect. And uh, it was difficult. It, there's no bones about it. But uh, I feel after four or five years that uh, Grizz fans hopefully feel they can trust me. And that was my number one mantra going into it was, I hope they can trust me at the end of all this, that uh, it's going to be okay. You've got a Montana guy. <laughs> Riley, you know, you mentioned it. So why don't we kind of put that out there right now? Uh, obviously Mick, Mick passed away and his services are going to be in Polson in a couple of weeks, correct? They are May 8th, one o'clock Lake funeral home in Polson. And I, I've been talking with his son, Chris, who is just awesome by the way, too. And he's been, um, in full support of letting people know out there that it is open to anyone. So the reason why they waited since Mick left us in, in November was so they could actually have a celebration of life. And that's what I'm excited about in May 8th, one o'clock in Polson Lake funeral home, anyone that wants to go uh, for Mick Holine's funeral services. So again, May 8th, one o'clock. Absolutely. Just a, a grizz legend right there. Yes. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, obviously when you came in, do you have like, did they say, Hey, we, you're going to do football and men's basketball, but we also need you to do, you know, other digital stuff for us or, or call other games for Pluto for us, like softball and stuff like that. Or did you jump up and say, Hey, I want to do more. It was more the latter, to be honest with you. I knew what the job was coming in and not that I felt that I needed to prove myself by doing more, but I felt that with the nature of the landscape with how college athletics was working and just my time at Washington State and having a vision. I mean, you have a vision, right? When you're the number two and you're behind someone for a couple of years, you've got 
that motivating factor behind you going, hey, if I ever have my crack, this is how I want to do it. And I feel that I can utilize X resources and do X amount of things. And I knew right away when I got this job, it's not cliche, guys. It's a dream job for me to be able to do this. And I wanted to incorporate myself with the university as much as possible right away. And I've been doing sports like volleyball and softball, and I've got that passion. But I'm not saying this is the reason I got the job. But when I went into Kent's office, he asked me the things that I wanted to do more. And I said, well, here's the thing. For me to do my job accurately, I'm going to be at football practice and at basketball practice. So at a very basic level, why aren't we doing practice updates or video updates from those two respective sports? Well, it kind of stemmed from there. And then I start saying, I would love to call five volleyball games, 10 softball games a year. Why wouldn't I do that? I'm the, if I'm the voice of the Grizz, I'm the voice of all sports. I'm not just the voice of football men's basketball and it was it was really a sense of personal pride for me and I I think that as you guys know and I feel I'm close with all three of you I'm a relationship guy and and once I set foot in that athletic department offices I I told myself that and I told everyone else I want to help your program and if if me calling a volleyball game is going to help elevate Allison Lawrence and her program same thing for Melanie Michael and softball then oh my gosh I'm more for it and then the podcast is stemmed from there, the inside, the den. So I felt like that this job could be elevated to so much more. And, and five years in, I'm, I'm happy with where we're at. And as you guys know, the, the sports media world is ever evolving and ever changing and you have to adapt nonstop. But I have a hard time saying no to things. And I, I like continuing to do it. And especially when I have passion for something and People have told me whether they like it or don't like the call. They know that I have passion behind it. I hope that's the one thing that comes away from all of it. Riley, you very recently even called a game that wasn't even a Grizz game. (laughs) That is correct. I did uh, (laughs) Eastern Washington, Idaho State. Now, this is a, a fun backstory with my buddy Larry Weir at Eastern Washington. We talked about it. Coming into the conference championship week, and Larry is the ultimate professional, and he's one of my best friends in this business, no doubt about it. He goes, I'm not saying that Eastern's better than Montana at basketball. And that's how he started the conversation. I'm thinking, something's up here. What What do you need? What are you trying to say? What's going on? And he goes, if for some reason that Eastern Washington is in the championship game and the Grizz basketball team is not, would you drive to Pocatello and broadcast Eastern football for me? And I, I mean, I just immediately jumped the opportunity and said, absolutely. You know, some people gave me a hard time afterwards. I said, Hey, I just need to, I need to shake off the rust for Grizzly football more than anything else. So it was good, but we came into that semifinal game in Boise whereas Montana against Eastern Washington. And the winner was going to call the big sky title game. And the loser was driving to Pocatello. So that's how it worked out. It was good. It was fun. It was 46-42. I got to watch some football in March. So no complaints. And it, and it shook off the rust for those two spring games in April with Greg. Yeah. And Idaho State's QB was freshman of the year in the big sky for the spring. And, of course, you know, Eastern's got EB3. So watch out for Idaho State. And I'm, I promise I'm not pulling the, the Bobby Houck, Rob Benesee connection. They really <laughs> impressed me. Like, they, they should have beat Eastern Washington that day. They've got skill position guys. Watch, I'm honestly glad the Grizz aren't playing Idaho State. 
and I don't think Idaho State's going to be in the top half of the league or anything. All I'm saying is remember this, and we'll do this again. October, November, you watch. Idaho State will win a game or two in the fall that they're not supposed to. Um, I can I can sense that we are moving into football, which is good. I mean, that's <laughs> but I I have a couple questions I want to ask you about. Um, you know, your you know the the your profession. Um, one is what are some of your favorite all time calls? You know, like the Giants win the pennant. You know, like what are what are some of like the big ones that uh, that you love the most? Oof. I mean, Vin Scully, as we've mentioned, is going to have a, a, a spot for me, at least the, the couple. So for him, when Gibson hit the home run, Kirk Gibson hit the home run in World Series, you know, in the year that's been so improbable, the impossibles happened. That one to me is at the top. Um, I know this sounds crazy, but Mick Colleen's call of Joey Count's touchdown against North Dakota State for me, because that, that to me – and I don't want to like overblow this or, or make it out of proportion, but that was like Mick's final big time call to me. Like that mm-hmm. would, yeah. that was yeah. iconic. Right. I mean, for so many different reasons, we're going to talk about the North Dakota state game a lot, but that one lives up there to me. I know it's not specific, but when Brent Musburger said you are looking live at Washington Grizzly stadium in Missoula, like I, I remember where I was at when I was watching that game, I wasn't in Missoula. I, I would imagine that, you guys were or at the game or around it. it I remember dirty. watching it. it certainly was Riley. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you weren't, I'd be disappointed. So, I mean, like, like that's an iconic call for me. Um, Gus Johnson, the slipper mm-hmm. still fits. Like yeah. mm-hmm. I've got a couple of influences big time, but as far as um, Vin Scully is going to have the top cup because I'm just a diehard Dodger fan, which I'm sure we'll get into too. All right. So then on the flip side, what is the like little catchphrase or saying that you hear where you're like, oh my, that is the worst. <laughs> We're just going to assume Greg's Yahtzee is somewhere in there. So we'll kick I that love one out. Yahtzee. No, I'm just messing, oh. I'm messing around. I'm messing around. I'm just, I mean, friend do of the hear, pod. Do you, and it, it, you know, obviously <clears throat> could be someone retired. So you're not bashing on someone in, in the sportcaster fraternity or not. But this now, I don't know if this is going to be anything specific. There, there's going to be one individual that I might call it specifically. And it's going to sound crazy because I would take this guy's job in a heartbeat. I don't like things that sound too scripted mm. because if you literally are scripting this thing out the night before, I feel that, that what I do and what play-by-play guys do is the ultimate taste of re of reality television or just reality in general where you can't script what's going to happen. So when I heard, and this is just recent, but when I heard Jim Nance describe Hideki Matsuyama's Masters win, I kind of cringed because it felt like that he'd been waiting up the last two nights mm-hmm. scripting that thing out. And I never, I never want to hear it, at least in that way. So I don't know if it's anything spe- specific, and I know I'm not dodging out of your question on this, <laughs> but if anything's too scri- if anything's too scripted, Brent, where you kind of go, oh man, like that was corny. Like I'd rather sound like an idiot, but have it be raw emotion, than have it be perfectly crisp and succinct but scripted. If that makes any sense at all, I don't. I mean, is there any that come to mind for you guys? Like that to me, I just don't like it when it's like, oh man, that was too corny. Don't do that. No, but I, I think this may, no one, I mean, I guess we don't know what the audience would be like 
Um, but you know how at the uh, Grizz Vision, there's all these little skits and stuff. I think we should do a skit. I think you guys should produce a skit of you practicing failed like play-by-play lines, you know? But it's just like, I imagine you do it throughout the day, right? Like you're on a run, you're hiking the M and you're just like, you know, some some like boom goes the dynamite style, like stupid ass catchphrases. And you're like, ah, you know? And then you're like, no, that's not, that's not the one. And then like people are overhearing you, you know, like as you're like in your own head and like you're making coffee and then you're trying them out. You got Sunberg in the background, like, dude, it's Yahtzee. We got it. Yeah, that that's brilliant. And then when you throw Monty on top of like where I can yeah. go, Monty, what do you think of this? And then say it and he crumples it He's up just... and goes, No, he doesn't like it. <laughs> I, I see I see brilliance all over this. Now, are we gonna have to give you credit? Are we gonna have to put you in the credits if we use this for the fall? Because I'm gonna have to GFPM, say this to Austin, yeah. our video guy. Do it yeah. and just all have fun. We'll, we'll have fun with it. People who know the pod will know. Exactly. The insiders will can, know. Can you guys put it out? Because you guys have such a good Twitter following too. You when, when we do this, like we'll leak it. Like, hey, give give some corny catchphrases. Or like we need to get some content oh, yeah. from the listeners out there to get them involved too. And I'm I'm all for that. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. We could even be out there like, hey, we're going to help Riley come up with new catchphrases this year. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Oh, uh, people be – People be all over that one too. See, Luke, Luke's more than just a pretty face. You know, he's yes. got some quality ideas there. Uh, I well, want- also, and I, I'm I'm sensing this, Luke, that you uh, you might want to. I mean, you want to get in this industry? I mean, I might know some people. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're fascinated with the ins and the outs of it. I can help you out. I I am very good for half baked ideas. Um, so whatever whatever position that is. <laughs> so, so for the so for the listeners out there luke calling play by play what would that sound like let's make sure you tweet it to podcast i want to i want to hear what the comparison is so luke actually of the three of us has the most media credential in that he a couple of years ago worked for root and he would sit in the um uh in the box with them and write down game observations what what would they call that luke for the stats, right? Stats yeah. spotter, like stats for talent, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I've done that before. I also um, was the PA guy for the the Lady Grizz soccer team for a couple seasons. Seriously? Um, yeah. I didn't know that. It was like you know, you guys remember Grace Gardner? Yeah. yeah. So she used to do it, and then you know, Grace and I know each other from working at the university. And she was just like desperate to get out of a couple weekends. And so she's like, Luke, they need someone. All you got to do is like announce names, call goal on the field. It's super easy. And then like the very first time I did it, we played Hawaii. And <laughs> like, oh, Samoan names, you're screwed. My God. <laughs> I'm not an articulate man anyway. <laughs> I just was apologizing the entire intro. I felt so bad. <laughs> but hey, Luke, that's a perfect segue because Riley, you've kind of shown your your card, but you are known to really prepare from everybody in the industry I've talked to that said you're, you're a show card, am I using the right term? Um, is like filled out beyond belief with information and Gosh. names and- cool. You should you should tweet a picture of that out so we can share that. Different colors. Deal. 
this this thing this thing is a, a spotter board would be the technical okay. term for this right and, and i will absolutely tweet it out and when we're in person the next time i will bring this but that to me it's the ultimate i mean it's the ultimate form of prep but the way i go into every broadcast is it's an open book test like right if you had an open book test in high school or college you're pumped you you're pumped you had all the info right in front of you you just had to know where it was at so you could find it right well for me this is an open book test every single player has their own box so for me i need to do all the research so i have all the stats all of the the stories all of everything that can complement if Bryson Demi's going to have a good game, which we'll get into, Mitch Roberts, Sammy Akam, Keelan White, I don't know who's going to have a big game. None of us do. But I need to be prepared if all of them have a big game, like Southeastern Louisiana where we score 73 in a playoff game. Like you need to know everything that's going to happen. So wow. for me, I have fallen in love with the prep process. And that's why when people ask me the question of how many hours do you put in a week or, or what's your work schedule like? I truly say it's impossible to, to figure that out. And I mean it because you don't really know when someone's number is going to be called. You don't know how many hours you're going to put into all of this. But um, at the end of the day, it's great because it, it's just an evolving process throughout the course of the week. Absolutely. So two, two questions. And then I think we probably need to transition to football or we will be here all night. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, you seem now in, 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 you know, several years into this year five, right. Um, to have really built a good relationship with coach Houck. Um, was that there from the start or did you kind of have to earn his trust? Oh man, we might, have, we, we might have temporarily lost wow. Riley. Wow, look what you did. I know. I just completely oh. kicked him out. Hot question, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm done. I'm not answering this. <laughs> Luke, I had no clue. No clue that you did the PA for the Lady Grizz soccer. And I know nothing about soccer. Like, no clue. <laughs> All right, he's back. All right. Riley, do we have you? Well, yeah. What did I freeze? You yeah, guys all froze on me when I was talking, so I didn't know if it was froze and disappeared. Yeah. I don't know. So I was to, asking you if so was, um, about uh, your relationship with Coach Hauk and if that if you had to earn his trust more or less. Oh my gosh, I, I would say absolutely. But also in the in the same regard, he he respected me from the moment I walked in that door, and I knew that that was something I didn't want to take for granted. I I think that one of the coolest things about my job is building those relationships with coaches and coach Hauk is at the top of the list for me because he is so eager and always willing to have a conversation. And if it's more of me like, Hey coach, I know you're busy this week, but the constant communication back and forth. And I, I feel like that after a year or two, maybe when I walked in with those spotter boards that we were talking about, or maybe when I sit down at a Grizzly coaches show and I've got 50 questions scripted out, I know we're not going to get to them, but just because I never, I never want to feel that, that spot of being unprepared and, and more of what we're just talking about with the spotter boards. 
the Warner Pacific basketball game this year was a great example of that. We went, it was the final regular season game. And I'm thinking, what more can we talk about here? But I overprepared for that thing was looking everything in between of making sure that I was ready to go. And I think coach Houck, he, he's a guy, and you guys know this too. You go in his office. I mean, every one of his days is planned until fall camp starts. And so I think he appreciates just the uh, being prepared, but as far as earning his trust, I would say that was, uh, that was something that was evolved over the first year, but him and I have such an awesome relationship. I can't thank him enough because of, of all the times we sit down in that office, he never, he never makes it seem like I'm bothering him. And we truly have, I would call it a friendship. I mean, I watched the national championship game at his house this year. I mean, just to, to have that is really special for a play-by-play guy um, and a football coach. But uh, it's something I totally don't take for granted. And another reason why I'm so all into Grizzly football, because he's so accessible. So Riley, I mean, we're on the topic here. A lot of times we put questions out for fans and um, I think someone uh, had written back to us just saying, um, what's your favorite coach Hauk moment since we're on the topic of it? I figured we'd ask it now. I mean, I Jack Marshall asked that question. That's yeah. Coming from Jack Marshall. That's a great, this is a great question because with coach Hauk and Grizzly football, it was ever evolving as far as like the confidence in his team. We all know when Bobby came back that he wants the Grizz to kind of where they're at right now. Like we shouldn't lose to anybody. We're going to come in. We're never the underdog. It's always a privilege for someone else to play the Grizz, all of those things. Right. Well, when you're number one of coach Houck, kind of hard to justify all of that because they were six and five and there were some losses. They, they weren't Montana quite yet. Well, year two, we go down to UC Davis, and this is 2019 we're talking about now. And the Grizz, I think, were ranked in the 20s. They're like 21, 22. We saw them in non-conference, like, oh, this, yeah, this team could be pretty good. How good are they? And the Grizz were an underdog in that game. I remember, look, I mean, they were like a seven-point underdog going to the UC Davis that, that Saturday afternoon. And I remember going down, we, we record the pregame interview five hours before kickoff, always, which means for these spring games – it was 6 a.m. for 11. So thanks, Coach Houck. He knows, he knows I'm not a morning person, so thanks in advance for that. But down at UC Davis, we're down at breakfast, and we're recording. And all of the assistant coaches just had their meeting. And I'm thinking, all right, some, something's up here. Or Bobby was just on a different level of fired up. And I sit down, and we, we go through all of our – and we're going through the pregame interview. And I said, Coach, you know, what kind of opportunity is this for your team to – to pull off an upset of a top five team on the road here in UC Davis. I kind of thought that was a good question, right? I mean, that decent question going in. He rips my ass apart and he goes, let's get one thing straight. It's a privilege for UC Davis that they get to play the Montana Grizzlies today. Number two, it ain't no upset. And number three, we're going to win the game. Literally, like I, I, I've got my list of like 15 questions out. I stopped and I'm thinking, holy shit, what just happened? You know, and that I mean, he ripped me apart. But that that goes to show you Bobby Houck's intensity on game day, unmatched. It's unmatched. Like him and I have an awesome relationship, and we we text back and forth. But when I go into his office on game day, like antennas up, be ready to go. He he's a diff. It's a different level, and I what I think is. Another cool aspect to Coach Houck, game days mean so much to him, and 
he's fired up uh, the moment he starts that pregame interview. That was like my first moment, and truly, guys, to this point of Grizzly football being back. That, to me, was the first moment because that's when Bobby Houck was confident in his Grizzly team for the first time. Well, they go on the road to beat UC Davis. They end up going 10 wins, the quarterfinals. We all know the, the, the accolades that came about it. And now we kind of think that there may be a team to be reckoned with on the national stage next year. It all started at that point. So I've got a lot of favorite Coach Houck moments with that pregame interview against UC Davis. I'll never forget for that reason. So one other question we had was, who was, tougher, who was the tougher interview after a loss, Bobby or Travis? <laughs> oh, oh man are we, are we diving in we're gonna dive into basketball man we need to hit the, well hit the we're just on the topic topic of talking to coaches so i figure i'll throw the question while we're on it i will i will say this and the, both of both of the coaches that i deal with are they're both type a we know that yeah. they're both incredibly intense and neither one of them like to lose and that's why we all love them as coaches but there's no doubt after losing a game, the harder interview is Travis to cure for a lot of different reasons. I feel that I feel Bobby, Bobby kind of keeps it in perspective and, and there wasn't, there hasn't been that many losses with coach out. So that also is another reason, but the first year when they lost five games or, you know, Bobby kept it in perspective. Hey, we got a long ways to go last year, the three losses, there weren't many hard moments, but Travis, when they lose a basketball game, those guys are so intense and they live so day to day where when you're in it with them, like I feel fortunate guys that I'm there for four to five months of the intensity, the day to day, how they literally their life depends or their mood at least depends on how games and practices go. And so when you see them falter in a game and see how it affects them, you know, they literally don't get sleep that next night. It's wild. So Travis is hard for a couple of different reasons. He's not very talkative when they lose. And let's just say there's been a time or two where Riley's got to sit there and wait and wait and wait (laughs) for the team to come out of the locker room. And by the time they're coming out of the locker room, Travis doesn't have much more to say. Let's let's just say that. So uh, Travis is a much harder interview after a loss than Bobby. Perfect. So... (laughs) Oh, wait. So, Riley, you mentioned that you think this uh, Grizz team, uh, this fall is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Uh, what do you think is sort of the trajectory based off of what, you, what you've seen this, this spring? I honestly think, guys, what we saw was I was looking for a couple different things, right? Were there going to be any holes from this Grizzly team? Like, what do they need to work on? What, what separates them from a North Dakota state or whatever it might be? And when I was trying to look for holes, I was finding myself talking about the depth of all the other positions more. And I think that that's a really telltale sign of where this team is at right now. There's not many holes. I would say the biggest hole on this team right now, you're going to laugh at me, is kicker. I think place kicker is probably the biggest question mark going into the fall. And if place kicker is the biggest question going into the fall, what's that mean? It means you have solidified depth at other positions. So I was really impressed going in and I think, and, and we'll get into the validity of the spring here and how much it matters and other teams. All I know is the biggest takeaway from what I've watched the last two months from a national FCS landscape 
is maybe there's some vulnerability with North Dakota State. And what's that do? That leaves the door open for the teams in the next tier. And Montana already proved that in 2019 that they are in that next tier, the tier of the James Madisons, the South Dakota States, the Weber States, the Montanas, and, and they're right there. So my expectations are pretty high, but I have made sure there's been multiple times I've walked into Coach Houck's office and said, hey, am I crazy here? And he has confidence in his team. And that, to me, is the biggest indicator of them all. If Coach Houck believes, why the hell shouldn't we? And I, I do. I, I think this team, tell me five teams in the country that are better than them. Because I would argue that, well, that's I, mean, a, I think that this is a top five team. I do. That's an important dimension is it's, it's not always just about your team. And you can only control you know, your team in some senses, but it also uh, matters the ebbs and flows of the skill level of other teams. So what do you think about the rest of our conference based off of what you saw from those who played a season? I was, and I've been a big proponent of this, and I know you have Coulter on the show a lot on Nuanas now, and I'm on with him on Mondays and Tuesdays. And I just know this, I'm never going to get a drink bought for me in Ogden, probably forever. And that's okay because the beer is not as potent down Water there down anyways. anyways. Yeah. For the first point, it's like 2.7%. So <laughs> first off, don't waste your time with that. But number two, I just, I feel that Weber is kind of going the other direction. I, I do. I feel that if they had to play their top three contenders, I mean, I'll just say this. I'll come out and say it. Top four in my preseason poll, three of them didn't play in the spring. Montana, Montana State, and Sacramento State. So hmm. Weber State had this opportunity to boat race their competition or or to show against other teams or other leagues that they could win and that they could advance deep in the playoffs. Well, what happened? Number one, their last four losses in Big Sky – or the last four wins in Big Sky play came by five points or less. So they didn't blow away the competition. Yes, they won. Give them credit. They find a way to win. That's Idaho State, Southern Utah – Northern Arizona and UC Davis. They needed to win at the final moments. That number one and Eastern Washington, I would be shocked. And this is a cop topic that we can all talk about. I truly, I don't think Eric Berrier is going to be back in Cheney in the fall. And if Eric Berrier is gone, what does that do to Eastern Washington? Yeah. And this is not to compare the situations of what's going on. But look at their men's basketball team, their women's basketball team, transfer portal. Does that have a trickle-down effect with football? All I'm saying is Eastern is a, is a very big question mark at this point. Portland State's in that next category. But I just feel that with what we're talking about, big sky expectations, that uh, I'm not afraid to say that I, I think that the Grizz are top dog right now. You know, a couple things. First of all, I really appreciate that you didn't tow the Hauk and Coulter line of Portland state being a top four team because they not, not going that far. Um, <laughs> Cause we'll talk about that game in a minute here. Um, Eastern it'd be tough to be an Eastern fan. I feel bad for them right now. And it's like, you know, we, we, we talk to some of their, their podcasters pretty regularly and it, it's almost, I don't, I'm not going to say disbelief, but like they just don't know what to say about what's going on with their basketball program right now. Cause it's like, they loved Shante. I loved him. I thought he was my favorite coach in the big sky and for him to go sucked, but then for all the good players to follow him and the ones that didn't follow him went other places. I mean, 
I've never seen anything like it. I mean, yeah. that, that, and they don't, they haven't filled their women's basketball position yet. I mean, I don't think they're going to drop D1 sports, but boy, they're not doing anything to make confidence for people. Well, there's no momentum at all. I mean, your top set. How many teams do you ever see have a rotation of seven guys? None of them are seniors. They go to the NCAA tournament and none of the seven come back. Like it will be an unprecedented story with what he, what's happening with Eastern right now, microcosm of a lot of things, but to echo it back to the football team, it's the straight uncertainty of what's going on in Cheney. And Adam with you guys, I, I just can't imagine them dropping division one sports. I just don't see it. They'll find a way to make it happen, but just the sheer uncertainty of another school being able to come in and say, Hey, we're going to provide you an opportunity that, you know, is going to be there for the next three to four years of your college commitment where Eastern can't definitively say that. I don't care what they're, I, I don't care what anybody's saying that is hurting them in the recruiting game. And if you ask their, ask their coaches, they would tell you the same thing. So, I mean, that has to come down to their football program, right? Eventually. And I, I mean, you're already seeing guys enter the transfer portal. They've got big time injuries. If Eric Barrier leaves, does that cause a trickle down effect? I feel for Eastern too. And I, and I mean this, like that the rivalry's healthy and all those things. I love everyone over at Eastern. I mean, they're great people that work within the administration, sports info, all of those things. So it's hard to see. You know, and you mentioned Weber and um, you know, I'm on the record as saying, I, if I was given one bold take for big sky football next fall, it's that I don't know that Weber state's going to make the playoffs. And I think that could be maybe a little bit of a, um, a kind of ridiculous line, <laughs> but uh, um, the, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, man, I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, so I, I think winning the way Weber wins yeah. is tough. Very tough. And Especially – Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say to do that five years in a row at some point, like that's unprecedented. It it felt like with Weber, it's like the defense has always been good to great, but you need the offense to catch up. And they've been, Weber has continually been stuck in being just a completely dead offense that the defense carries along. And then I'm totally with you too, because you look at, what their challenge that they face now is do they play six conference games or five? They played five, didn't they? They had they one canceled. Five. Yeah. Yep. Plus a playoff game. So they played six games and like every team, they've got their share of injuries. They've got their share of needed off season surgeries and all that stuff like that. And they've got less than four months to get healthy and back on the field and play a full slate. Um, I think that's going to be something where, I think in the long run, the, the teams that went the full distance in this spring season are going to find that if they don't have tremendous depth, two to three deep in some spots that they're going to have to rely on this fall, they're going to they're gonna drop off this year. They might bounce back in the years ahead, but I just it seems like a lot of football to put on a, um, a player in one year. And yeah. I think it's going to really reflect on these more physical type teams, yeah. especially like Weber. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, it's like, you know, you keep waiting for them to take that next step on offense and maybe in some ways they did, but 
they won their games by an average of seven points. Like that's going to catch up to you. That's not a, that's not a consistent thing. So they brought in a transfer QB who lost a job to a freshman, you know? (laughs) So Hey, I like Bronson. I like him too, but it's just like, you know, yeah. So no freshman should ever be a QB, right? A starting QB, right? Mike? Um, No. Brent, no, I don't feel that way. <laughs> so we'll we'll talk a little bit more about maybe the, what we think of the Big South Conference in next fall. <laughs> Luke, did you want to jump in here? No, I was trying to I was trying to high five Brent for that. <laughs> Brent, just yeah, we're not even we're not even touching that. So yeah. let's talk Portland State. Um, we've established that they uh, are not a top four team in the country, <laughs> much less the conference. <laughs> Um, what can we take away from this spring? You know, so, uh, well, first on the Portland state thing, I think the, the, like the football world centers around, if you have a good quarterback, I think we know Portland state has a good quarterback, but I think what we saw from that Portland state team was they have a good, but rusty quarterback with not a lot of help around him. And he was missing his number one receiver, but boy, that, that team has a lot of things to figure out. And especially defensively. Um, so they could be better come the fall. They're not going to be a top five, four or five team. No way. But I, I, I kind of get the talk. Cause you just look at, you know, usually the teams that perform the best, do the best, have the most success, have great quarterbacks or, or good, you know, best quarterbacks in the conference. And so, you know, that's a lot of times why Eastern Washington could stay competitive for so long. And, and there's, there's exceptions to the rule. Yes. You know, the cats, but uh, for the most part. So I don't know. Uh, I was expecting more of a game out of Portland, but they definitely looked like a very, very rusty football team in that game. Riley, what do you think? Like, what can we take away from the Portland game and then spring in general? Okay. So it's a double-edged sword and I get all of it. Like Portland state's rusty. We know that they didn't have the practice time that they needed coming into all of this. So you take it with a grain of salt, knowing that they weren't in here as the most well-oiled machine. Do they have talent? Absolutely. But I think the biggest takeaway from all of this is just knowing that against the same competition level for what the Grizz are going to face in the fall, that they were pretty dominant. And I think that a 31-14 win or a 31-21 win, we'd just basically be saying, okay, the Grizz look pretty good. But I think this is more about the Grizz than it is about Portland State. Will Portland State be – what's Portland State going to be? If you look at their schedule, and I unfortunately did for Coach Barnum, they've got a brutal slate. I mean, they play at Hawaii. They play at Washington State. So if we're talking about a team that's going to be a playoff contender, no. But if they're in that five and six, six and five range and upset a team or two, they are going to have a part, at least in the playoff picture. So yeah. I think my biggest takeaway was just knowing that from a physical standpoint, and I think especially on the lines, right? Because if you looked at Portland State, their size was overwhelming. And I know we I fell in love with it. Coulter did too, all the media guys. I mean, you got a 6'10, 395 left guard. You're kind of going, huh? Okay, what was... the hell's going on here? And their defensive line is oh huge. And I mean they're stacked across the front too. So I was just encouraged to the fact knowing that, okay. Grizz manhandled Central Washington, kind of maybe how they should. Portland State's a like opponent, and I know that they were rusty, but the Grizz didn't win that game as bad as they did because of straight rustiness. So my biggest takeaway was it was a light, light competition, and the Grizz kind of flexed their muscles. As far as Portland State, they're a team that's going to be middle of the pack that I wouldn't want to play. 
I'd put him in the Idaho State UC Davis category, probably just in that five, six, seven range in the big sky. You know, it's interesting you talk about the size and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that that guard that hurt his foot, it didn't appear to be too bad. But, I mean, hopefully not too bad. Um, I, I texted Mike and Coulter this, I believe. And it's a stupid cliche statement, you know, the, the eye test or whatever, but especially watching just the, the, I mean, just the, the, the size and strength transformation of this Grizz team where Portland had big guys, a lot of their like skill guys, their corners, their receivers, they weren't big guys. They did not look, they they just didn't like pass that kind of like, they just didn't look the part where uh, the Grizz team, and I, I think we talked about this earlier or previously in another uh, pod episode where you looked at some of the big sky schools playing and guys look little, they look small, they look like they just didn't really, you know, make the most out of the last 18 months of not playing football. And the Grizz definitely, you know, you, you, you use the measuring stick, right, of a North Dakota state, but it's like you, you definitely look the part with that team, the Grizz players looked at way more than Portland state. And I mean, obviously they played it as well too. Yeah. Brent. I mean, you and I obviously talked about it, but you're used to when we played down, you know, when we play like a central Washington or somebody like that, or played overmatch opponent, you're kind of used to like, well, they take advantage of some of their mistakes and just kind of beat them into something like that. But this was different to me in that it, they just lined up and beat them and they could have been so much better, you know, and it wasn't like mistakes. The other teams made for the most part, it was just that they were better. Yeah. And that stood out to me as like, that's not always the case. Well, I, I really noticed that after um, cam came out of the game and we well, cause went, they got better. Oh, and, well, at running the ball. Yeah. At running the ball. <laughs> 12 straight times, right. Or 13 straight times. It was so we just went down and scored two touchdowns. Like it was like, let's not mess around. Let's uh, run the ball, not get another quarterback hurt, take some time off the clock. Um, and Portland State couldn't do anything about it. I thought that was really impressive. That was that was the moment of the game where I thought uh, this team is different. And I even saw. Um, Xavier Harris, who I think likes to be called X, um, he tweeted out. He does. He does. Perfect. Different. Yeah. I mean, and, and Bobby Hauckavold, right? I mean, if you, especially in the second half of the game, if you can't stop our ground game, you're not going to beat us. And to go from a situation where number one quarterback's knocked out for the game, um, yeah, so you're gonna have to stop the run and like literally converting what was it two or three third and kind of like not I don't know if you'd say long but like mediums like a couple third and sixes or something on the ground like with like a delayed handoff to your to like you know Osmo your bigger back and and picking it up I mean I guess technically one turned into a fourth and short didn't it but um impressive all around T- tell me this how much did you guys love when the Grizz literally that entire drive where Chris Brown came in and we all heard the narrative and I'm sure maybe one of the three of you thinks Chris Brown should be the starter right away. Well, we can get into that too. Okay. There's someone out there, <laughs> but regardless, like the fact that they ran the ball every single play oh, on man. that possession and ended in a touchdown, 
that to me showed the growth more than anything in like the last three years. It was pretty cool to see. Yeah, because when Bobby took over, he, you know, made some comment about how we needed to rehabilitate the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this was his statement saying, uh, we have a fucking offensive line, but <laughs> well, I mean, and they were rotating guys. It wasn't just the front, the first five. I mean, we potentially, we have a potential starter in Cordell Pillins. I don't think who played through the spring. And so mm-hmm. it's like, and then AJ Forbes goes down, uh, you know, it's sounding like, well, he's not going to miss uh, any time though. So we'll see him back in the fall. Uh, hopefully uh, best. And so, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's awesome as well to see. It's not just your front five with a big unknown behind it. Cause it kind of makes me think of when we had the Mick Delaney years, you had a pretty good front five, but if one of those guys went down, it was like, Oh my God, we don't know what we're getting into. Cause it's young guys or inexperienced guys uh, or guys just not ready for the job. They're rotating guys left and right. It seemed like on the O-line on different series, Riley, you'd probably know it better than us, but um it kind of feels like they've got that kind of nine, 10, 11 guys almost on the O-line that they feel like if needed can start playing complete a game. And not only that, but the depth behind it and the youth, yeah. because we've been just trying, it feels yeah. like it's Young been, guys too. And I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't mean it in a bad way, but it feels like it's just been a band-aid, right. For a while where it's just, okay, we got it. We got to fix it and try and build at the same time. Well, now to your point, it feels like there's seven or eight guys for sure that you feel good about, but not only that, how about your Brandon Casey's six, five, two eighty, true freshman, big recruit out of Sandpoint. He's going to be waiting in the wings, a Dylan Bodner, a freshman that you feel good about. He can develop for a little bit. A Garrett Blumendahl from CMR, another big kid. He can develop. So it feels like now that the roster is in place where not only that you don't have to have band-aids every year, but that you can develop guys. And that that's kind of, I think, the the North Dakota State machine or the Bobby Hawk machine from years past, where that to me maybe shows more than anything else. And I know that the top five guys is what it is, but the fact that they have depth and youth behind it, that maybe is the most reassuring thing to me than anything else with the O-line. And I mean, a lot of spots too, not just O-line. Like, it feels like, yeah. Across the board. I mean, now, right. So uh, we've got uh, the Deming brothers in the, in the transfer portal, moving on to grad school. So, um, you know, tight ends, we've got a little bit of an experience there. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, it, it, there's not a lot of spots where it feels like you're one or two guys as a, or the starter and it's a complete unknown behind them. So yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive to see in just, two seasons and three and a half ish years, how they've been able to build out this roster the way coach Huck wants to. Well, it's not like you got wide receivers playing corner anymore or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, it, it feels like a well-oiled machine. I would say as far as depth's concerned, probably the tight end spot. I mean, especially now with, with Deming leaving, yeah. I'm super high on Cole Grossman. And when we get into maybe like impact players or players to watch out for, like Cole Grossman is probably going to be at the top of the list for me. I am a little bit concerned about tight end depth. So yeah. yes, I, I think that that's, that's probably a spot right now. And then defensive line depth, it seems that they've got a good core, but I think, yeah, I mean, obviously the Demings leaving hurts a little bit, but my gosh, it all positions. I mean, you go back and look and that that's my biggest takeaway. Like I, I told you guys just a moment ago, 
I was more blown away by the, the quality of the twos than I was wondering about if there was a hole at any spot for a starting spot, if that makes any sense. Yep. Yep. So we've talked about spring, I guess let's, let's do it this way. Who were like, rather than doing like a player of the game, who were your players of spring? Like who maybe jumped out at you the most, did the most for themselves or was like, you know, we can rely on them. I'm going to go to defense first. And I think that, that Justin Belknap, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, did not get maybe the pub and the praise of a grad transfer senior coming in here. And I don't think a lot of people know his story about getting hurt and coming from Arizona and having the Bobby Howe connection coming in. But to me, he's someone that, that just validates your defensive line right away. And I think that a lot of people want to know new names, right? And, and guys that we never saw on the field last year. But some of them made a big leap. And again, someone that's not going to show up in the, in the box score is Joe Babros. I think that Joe Babros really solidified himself even more so as a, a quality starter at defensive end. I mean, the North Carolina State transfer, he's a senior. I just think the fact now that you have Babros and Belknap on the outside and then the rotation of Gubner and Alford on the inside, I was really impressed. Uh, by just what Belknap and Babros were able to do out there. Um, maybe a diamond in the rough that impressed me was Braxton Hill. And I think Braxton Hill might be someone that, that we're talking about down the road for maybe a potential 37 or, or someone that becomes a fan favorite. The linebacking room is so much fun at Montana right now because eight of the top nine on the depth chart are from the state of Montana. So I have an affinity for those guys. I mean, if Justin Ford didn't make the top of anybody's list, I don't know what they were watching because Justin Ford was absolutely crazy with what he was able to do in the spring. So uh, those guys, at least defensively, stuck out to me on the offensive end. Malik Flowers. I mean, the coaching staff guys, every time I was in there, ranting and raving about what Malik Flowers did. So the fact that he was finally more involved on the offensive end really surprised me. And then I know everyone's going to talk about Xavier Harris and they should, but uh, if I'm going to go diamond in the rough offensively, I'm going to say Malik Flowers did. So I don't know if any of those surprised you guys whatsoever, but those are my players that uh, stood out. Oh, and one more, Brian Buscini. Holy heck. I mean, I as, a, as a punter and, and yeah. And, and the coach told me this in, the, in our last podcast, like, they were purposely kicking the ball in play on kickoffs just so they could work on things. If he wanted to boot that thing out of the end zone every time he could. So that's Perfect. another good sign too. So those are a couple of players. I don't know. Who did I miss? Any, anyone for you guys that, that stood out that I missed there? You know, I mean, I actually think that the second game when Kites was rotating in, in the offensive line, he actually made some, made some positive impacts that, I think he became more than just a player there. You know, he could, you could tell that that actually seemed to make a difference. Um, you know, Harris jumped out at me just like he seemed to find his footing in the second one, but I definitely would agree with flowers on that front. It was just fun to see him be part of the offense. And Ryan Simpson to me is somebody I didn't even know, you know, and this big, tall guy, Bozeman high school. Um, I'm excited to see him for sure. And, uh, you know, the depth of Montana kids on the linebacking core, but even um, the freshman from uh, Missoula Sentinel um, playing safety, 
you know, there it was just fun to see some of these new names jump in there. And also guys like a Jackson Lee, who you just mentioned, yep. the freshman from Sentinel, coach said it. He goes, there's going to be guys that you see in these spring games that are still going to redshirt in yeah. the fall. Yep. So that is fun for me to kind of just take a peek and go, all right, all right. But the, the, the talent pool is pretty darn deep at what we're looking at here. And I, I just think the depth is uh, pretty darn impressive across the board. So I just want to make sure I'm not forgetting anyone. It, it was fun to go down the list, right, and see guys, the, the twos, the threes, and the fours even getting in there too. You know, yeah, go ahead, Luke. Go ahead. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention All-American OD. Um, oh, yeah. OD 0 for 2 on the own. coin toss, though. 0 for 2 yeah. on the coin toss. So here's the thing about no, OD. But with an, aster- with an asterisk, guys, he didn't what call happened? the coin toss. So we can't put it all on OD. He just was standing out there, and his, his good luck vibe didn't get the other team to lose. <laughs> I mean, you know. He, he's saving it for September. But, okay. Riley, here's the thing. You know, in the old NFL overtime rules, if you didn't get the ball, you still lost. So, I mean, he was out there, you know, is what it is. Speaking of long snappers though. So I was on culture show last week and I referenced OD and um, uh, you know, I talked about him being our favorite, the Grizz fan pods, favorite long snapper of all time. Well, turns out that I actually spent a decent amount of time with another former Grizz long snapper who wanted to, stress that there should be a delineation between long snappers that also played other positions and were real football players and the current <laughs> guy. <laughs> wow. It wasn't quite that Those harsh. are fighting words. But uh, um, James is a baseball coach. One of them is Colt Palmer. Colt Palmer. Yeah. And Colt Palmer was like, I got a bone to pick with you. And I was just dying because you know, him and Jordy Tripp. And there's been a lot of guys that have been long snappers. So I just want to get that out there that I think there's got to be two categories of, of, uh, of favorite long snappers of the Grizz fan pod, <laughs> because the, when, when Colt was a long snapper, uh, mostly under Glenn and then a little bit of how back, you know, they used to do the fun, like snap it directly to, to Snyder who would either run it or yeah. in theory could have thrown a pass or angle snap it on that awesome um, fake punt that, uh, Glenn's teams ran a couple times. So anyway, credit where credit's due there. <laughs> Sorry for the uh, divergence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, for me to looping back to the spring, um, seeing a healthy Gabe Sulser, just yes. like, like, yeah. I mean, we all saw that he is a pretty special talent to play as a true freshman, but then uh, I feel like he missed some games his freshman season. And then obviously 2019, practically didn't play and so just to see what he did in two games returning punts returning kicks starting in the slot and being i i believe statistically the most productive receiver yeah 145 yards and two touchdowns uh and a punt return average of 27 yards per return on five returns not just like two um I don't know. It was it was exciting just because Jerry Lou McGee is a very electric player, a big fan favorite guy we've saw for four years uh, straight. And then you always kind of worry about what the, what some of that spot's going to look like. And I think we're in really good hands with Gabe. And I was excited to see what he brought to the field. A known name, obviously, but yeah. And I think that went overlooked too was just seeing a healthy Gabe Solser. I mean, yeah, I, I try and equate it too because what he came into is an impossible situation to try and 
just have more success than what's expected of you, right? I mean, he's the Gatorade player of the year. He's the guy everyone wants to do well. And then he gets hampered by injuries behind Jerry Louis McGee. I'm with you. The, the fact that we have a healthy Gabe Solzer. And then, by the way, the storybook ending to score a touchdown on his first career touch. Like, come on. Get out of here. That, that's, that's storybook stuff right there. So he set the bar pretty high. But I'm knocking on wood as I say this. If Gabe Solzer can stay healthy, there are going to be so many special electric moments. And not to take anything away from Jerry Louis McGee, I'm using this as a sign of respect more than anything else. But the fact that we're not talking about the fact that we lost Jerry Louis McGee, one of the most dynamic punt returners in school history, and we replace him with the Gabe Solzer, I would take the spin that that's more about how impressive Gabe is than anything else. Fair. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yep. So guys, what's realistic? Like we, we, we kind of talked about the spring and it's weird. I think we're all on the record of having different opinions on the spring season, whatever. How much can we take into the fall of this? Like what expect, I mean, reasonable expectations is the wrong word, but you know, when we're spending time, you know, BSing with our cat fan friends over the summer, what is it? What's a reasonable thing to say? We believe the Grizz will be X good. You know, what can we take from this? I you want me, you want, go ahead, think, Luke. You go first. I think the fans should probably hear from Riley. My <laughs> is that beyond the UW game. I don't think that there's a game that we shouldn't be favored in um, on our schedule. That's that's kind of what the expectation is based off of what we saw in the spring, I think. I think that's very valid, Luke. And I, I, w- I will take it one step further because that's what we do and we're an hour into a podcast in late April, right? We take things to the next level. Well, I'll take it to the next level. I'm going to say after that opening game against UW – that the Grizz will be a touchdown or better favorite in every single game after that. We're going to have fun on this one. If there's a game where they're maybe favored by less than a touchdown, we'll talk about it. I just look at that schedule right now, and I, I see with the way the home games are set and who they play on the road, the momentum that they can build, the ranking they're going to have. I mean, it's a lot of different factors going into it, but I think that just the, the depth Montana has, goes to show you that if one player goes down, you're not worried that the season's going down the drain. And I don't mean this in any bad form, but but if Dalton Sneed goes down, right, in the last year or two, you maybe hinder your expectations saying, well, okay, the Grizz can't win at all. Well, now, if you go through any position group and you say, okay, well, if, if player X goes down, well, there's pretty good depth behind him. So I just think that – the, the growth, the development of this team, and, and we talked about it, but the extra year, nobody wanted this COVID year to happen. No one at all. But if there's one team that benefited the most, it was a disciplined Bobby Howe group that was grinding in the weight room, in meeting rooms, that were continuing to be on the same page, that were getting on the same page for what we were going to see here in the fall. And I think that's the biggest reason for optimism. If one player goes down – you're not saying that that the season's a catastrophe or that they're gonna, it's going to be a really hard to overcome that. So I just feel this team's ready to go. And more importantly, as we all love, and you guys hear it as members of the quarterback club too, the mindset is back. 
the mindset of that nobody's coming into Wild Grizz and winning and the mindset of that you're going to face the tough Montana Grizzlies of old that don't expect you to win a game. And that's kind of the mindset that I, I think that's the, the biggest thing when I walk through those offices. There's no one that – when I talked with Coach out, kind of half-jokingly but serious at the same time, I said, well, I've got a vote in the Stats FCS Top 25 poll. What do you think? He goes, well, number one. And I laughed. I go, what? He goes, no, seriously, I think we can be the best team in the country. And that told me all I need to know about this group. Yeah. You know, I think that one thing that, you know, if anybody questions them, it's like the Grizz were in the final eight last, last full season. And you take out Sneed and Dante and they are better everywhere. And it's like QBs yet to be seen. It seems like linebackers, you know, that position just seems to refill at UM luckily. Um, yeah, Mike, you talked about the depth that we have now. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we were a top eight team, we were starting a player, uh, a favorite of mine, both as a player and a student, but a uh, Cy Sermon, who mm-hmm. wasn't recruited. He was recruited as a linebacker. Right. And then went to D-line and then to O-line for a final season, um, you know, it comes from this incredible pedigree of football players, but still was not – an offensive lineman. Um, we're, we're a top eight team filling gaps like that. So I, uh, I just, Mike? well, you talk about the spring and like the thing of everything where I'm like kind of cautioning myself, but what I can't help being excited about is the secondary. We are so much better at the cornerback position than we were last season. It's not even funny. Like, I don't know that there's going to be a, year-to-year better improvement of any position in the FCS than the Grizz cornerbacks. Maybe that's hyperbole. What do you think, Riley? No, I don't think that's hyperbole at all. I mean, and especially this, and you guys are, are good enough fans to understand the defensive scheme that this Grizzly team plays. How much better does this make the scheme when you have confidence on your back in the guys? And especially in the Big Sky Conference when it's – yeah, especially, absolutely. We're talking about these air raid offenses or or the the teams that are going to throw it around 50 or 60 times a game. And not only the frontline guys at corner, I feel good like four guys deep. I Mm -hmm. mean, Omar Omar Hickson and Justin Ford to me. If any guy starts over those two, then they've deserved it. And then you've got Corbin Walker, Acho, so the team loves. There's been talk that – Rajon Cotton can be a corner slash safety, safety. hybrid guy. Yep. Yep. I mean, yeah. So when you roll him into the safety spot with, with Robertson and Hauk, I mean, I am so encouraged by the defense and I think as fans and, and we all get caught up in the offensive numbers, you score 110 points in two games. It's really sexy and fun to talk about that. But defense was maybe the bigger takeaway for me of how nasty that they were in those two games and really that there's no holes there. I mean, Kent Bear has evolved, I think, even more. If it's possible to evolve in year 47 and 48 as a collegiate coach, I think Kent Bear has done it. I think that this this group around him, um, the scheme, it's all coming together great. And I'm I'm maybe more fired up about the defense where yeah. I look at it more as if there might not be any old big sky old-fashioned shootouts. It's more of you tell me a team in the big sky that's going to put up more than, let's just say, 21 or 24 points on this Grizzly defense, 
And I'd, I'd be curious to find out who those teams would be. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I feel like I'm rational all the way through the roster until we get to the secondary. And then that's where it's like, <laughs> I get the excited <laughs> giddiness going on in your gut. You know, we're like, Oh my God, like this could be something. So yeah. I'm ready. I, you know, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be a long off season here, but I love the whole spring game concept. We should do this again. Oh, we need to, we need to set something up like this. <laughs> Even if it's just one game moving forward. I, I love the way this, this played out this spring, having to do like, like a real game rather than a scrimmage. What if you talk to the players too? They were so much more motivated to know that they had a kid. And I got to play someone at the end. Exactly. And I hate using this analogy, but I've used it a lot. So I might as well keep with it. The carrot dangling at the Mm -hmm. end. Right. I mean, that's exactly what this thing was, but it helped the players have motivation towards the the finish line because we don't know how spring practices go. You guys are avid fans. Out of the 15 spring practices, if you're at 10 of them, half of them are good and half of them are kind of like, yeah, you can tell that these guys aren't really playing a game for five months. Well, I didn't feel any of that for the practices that I went to leading up to the Grizz spring games. And I think it was a byproduct of it. Be, be, be rest assured that Coach Barney and his Dots Pretzels and Bobby Houck could come up with something that is going to be transcendent around college football. <laughs> it would be funny if this thing catches on, even at the highest level next year, or even after that. I think it'd be great for the Big Sky because a lot of the other Big Sky teams could go do money games in the spring and maybe have regular schedules in the fall so we can have a better showing in the playoffs, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, <laughs> so I, Riley, I know that we're, we're running up on it with you and we want to get to kind of listener questions before we do that. <laughs> that's, anything that's, from any keep of rolling. Guys, that's roll. Anything from any of you guys on, um, on, on these spring games or wrap up or, or kind of the fall or anything we want to touch on. No. Let's roll to the questions. All right. Brent, you got them up? Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. Start with Egris, I suppose. Everybody's favorite spot for Grizz information. <laughs> see, there's, con- there's, content flo- there's content flowing out of there. Yes, always. <laughs> Riley, uh, any, inside, inside, uh, any insights if there will um, be beer sales in the stadium? You're, you're, our, you're our guy, our rep here to push beer sales in the stadium. Trust me, I would love for there to be beer sales in the stadium. All, all <laughs> I know, I can tell you this officially, not playing the company line. I know those conversations are happening. Sure. That there are there, there's momentum to get that done, but nothing has been solidified yet. I think finally, though, like that, it has always been something that's been out there for like the last two or three years. Where it's like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Why doesn't anybody just make it happen? I think we're finally to the point now. We're at the make it happen stage. So I'm optimistic that it's maybe sooner rather than later, but I can confidently say at least in the last couple of years that that has escalated even more. I think there's a bill, isn't there? I hope that, did, I hope that, that doesn't mean anywhere? I'm, do- I hope that doesn't mean I'm not dodging out of that question. <laughs> no, 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 that, no, you're that fine. didn't come out like I was dodging that. Okay. I feel like there was a bill proposed in the Montana house about a special license for athletic events. I don't know where that went though. So, yeah. Mike, do you know? No. I don't know where that went either. Okay. It, it, yeah. it was, yeah. I mean, let's go to our yeah. local representative here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the one, the bill that got more attention in the legislature this year, well, a couple of them did, and we we've, we've all talked about that. But um, the uh, athlete likeness one, mm-hmm. as far as kind of like impacting this part of the game. So I don't right. know. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, Riley. Uh, you, I mean, you know the roster probably better than you know 
most all fans and maybe even some of the coaches any idea on obviously we got a few guys in transfer portal so uh question here just uh any guesses projections on number of guys we incoming guys we might see come in through between now and the fall season available open roster spots things they might look at i think that they are holding some selective crown jewel spots for certain position players and i think that they have at this point with the ever-changing nature of college athletics it becomes more of like position of need and x amount of spots and and i know that the biggest problem that all sports are going to have right now particularly football because it's all about strength and numbers is trying to solidify the classes or combine the last two classes for the uniqueness of covid of trying to make it a reasonable number. So I know that those spots are really, really limited, but also at the same time, the way the transfer portal has been happening, coaches just absolutely have to put five spots in there. Like, Hey, if we get a transfer, that's a fit, we can't be out of room for him. So I think that there's some position um, areas of need. I, I would venture to say offensive line, be on the lookout maybe for one offensive line transfer that might come in. Um, I know a defensive line transfer as well. Um, And then they're just keeping the other spots open. It's just weird. And I know that, I mean, shoot, we could, we probably will have a full podcast about the nature of college athletics and the transfer portal. My goodness. It's, it's a crazy trend. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but my gosh, I mean, just with the way that these coaches now have to re-recruit or just constantly recruit players um, because of the nature of of college athletics these days, it's absolutely crazy. So I know that it's more of a uh, based on position of need, at least to answer the transfer portal question right now. Perfect. Okay. All right. So uh, CDA Grizz on eGrizz always asks us a bunch of crazy hypothetical (laughs) questions. Oh, I love hypotheticals. (laughs) And he he has one for you, Riley. So here's your hypothetical question. (laughs) Okay. The Grizz are in the semifinals against North Dakota State next season. You're on the call. He says, per usual, because you do a great job. The Grizz are down by three with under a minute to go. The Bison drives stalls and they have to punt. The Grizz returner fields the punt at the one-yard line and proceeds to make the most electric punt return, shedding tackles and taking it to the house for the apparent win. Pick one. Option one, you announce the play with half a jar of peanut butter in your mouth and the Grizz win an instant classic, but your call, <laughs> but your call goes viral, and you're forever known as Mister Skippy Mouth. Or two, you make the call as normal, but the punt return gets called back to the Bison thirty. The Grizz kick a field goal. The game goes to overtime, and they take their chances, and they're tied. Mister Skippy Mouth. <laughs> I mean, number one, where does CDA Grizz go for the hypothetical? That that's a phenomenal hypothetical question. Oh, that's even tame compared to some of the stuff he comes up with. Oh my gosh! He's asked us if we had to like wear rollerblades for like two years, all the time. And if anyone asked you, all you have to say is "I love Bladen." You can't give any other answer. <laughs> <I'm bleeding. laughs> Oh uh, my gosh. Okay. Skip you. I, 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 Peanut you know butter what? it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the ants. Yes. I, I would be Mr. <laughs> Skippy Mouth. I really would. I mean, I am so all in to this that if the Grizz can go to a national title and the only yeah. person that 
comes up looking like a jackass is me because I was really wanting peanut butter for some reason in the fourth quarter of a close game, then lay it on me. I'll 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 take the nickname. The Grizzlies is- bison in the semis. Yeah, this is I, why I'm not this is why Coach Houck likes you because no one's above the team. Yeah. No, All right. he's, he's got me in line with everyone else. The program, the program is bigger than me. Oh man, that's awesome. All right, so uh, a couple of these ones we'd asked already. So uh, one more here, um, kind of a two-part question. Uh, first one for Riley: uh, Does Greg Sumberg go over his catchphrases with you? If so, how many times? Have you shot down his ideas that were before he got to Yahtzee? And then the question for, I guess, the the pod is um, odds of uh, EB3 over at Eastern Washington transfer. And if he does, um, <laughs> uh, do Eastern fans build in that excuse and we kick their ass next year? <laughs> See, I hope he doesn't. Like, I, yeah, hope I hope he doesn't either. I want to beat them has with, with Barry. stability and he stays. But, man, I don't know. I think that's tough. It's tough. If, if you're the Walter Payton Award winner in the FCS with the landscape of college football and college athletics these days, and you can go in the transfer portal and everyone knows that you're the best player in the FCS and you've got that as basically your floating resume, you know there's going to be a Pac-12 or a Mountain West team, if not someone else, that's going to pounce on that. So with that being said, and I don't want to speculate, but with, with where Eastern's at right now, you combine those two things, and then you look at what's happened at Eastern in the past with the Vernon Adams of the world. And then even, you know, you look and you even see like a Dakota Prukop of what he did. I just think that there's going to be plenty of opportunity out there for Eric Berrier to just maybe see what's out there. So I know I answered your guys' question first, which is very selfish of me. So I won't do that. I will go to the Greg Sundberg question, which is what everyone's dying for. Now, <laughs> Yahtzee, Yahtzee. I had no idea, and I still don't have any idea when Yahtzee's coming. I didn't know what – the first time that he said that, I looked at him and went, what the hell? I mean, what, what was that? And it it has grown in legend ever since then. Um, we did have a, a request – that he would say Uno instead, like, just try, is that a board game thing? Does he want to say Uno every time the Grizz do something funny? And we we kind of just went down the line. I don't approve his catchphrases. I, I end up just laughing at them mostly. They're, they're, they come from pure, like, you have to understand for Greg Sunberg, right? I mean, he wears a lot of hats at the university. And he's the associate AD and the head of the GSA, first off. So for him, when he goes on headset, it's one of the true times that, he can be like a raw fan and let his emotions out. And he's like all of us. He's a diehard Grizz fan. Like he, mm-hmm. he lives it every single day. I mean, not only does his job reflect that, but when he says those funny things, whether it's Yahtzee, he's pulled out the wowzer a couple of times. Like there, there's definitely <laughs> three words. He, he, there's three words in the English dictionary that, that aren't in the dictionary that he uses in every game. He said, in one spring game, guys, he said spagility. And I said, what's that? And it was the combo of speed and agility. <laughs> that it just comes out because it's raw emotion. So you I just, don't approve Sunburst catchphrases. They're hilarious. You Perfect. just know when you get the Yahtzee, baby, that it is a genuine, you know, he is genuinely excited. And I will give him credit because I asked him, I said, hey, are you going to – you're going to give a Yahtzee here in the spring to give the, the fans a taste. And he goes, no, no, no. 
those are those are treasured circumstances. We don't we don't just throw <laughs> Yahtzees out there for the sake of throwing Yahtzees. So I think he's saving that for maybe if there's a special touchdown in Seattle against UW or maybe that home opener when there's close or hope to a full crowd at Wagres. Riley, would you say Greg's lack of Yahtzees during the spring suggests the rest of the FCS spring conference is not legitimate? Yes. Absolutely would make that that transitive property of equality. Absolutely, I'm I'm going I'm going there with you. Without, yeah, that tells you all you need to know. If you don't get a summer uh-huh. Yahtzee, spring season's not legit. Our guys at Idaho and Eastern and Weber will love to hear that. <laughs> well, they're all done now, so yeah, they're not playing football either. Yeah. By the way, hold on. Which which team? You guys all adopted a team. How'd that go for you? Well, oh my my God. teams made the playoffs. I adopted Eastern and Weber, and they both made the playoffs. So <laughs> my team quit uh, after they got their ass runner. kicked. Yeah. Well, see, but my thought, Riley, is like if I have to adopt another Big Sky team for one season, why would I have not picked the ones that were going to win? Nuge, it's a silly logic because I don't want to have fun rooting for another team. I want to eat it. You know, like I don't want to enjoy I want to be so happy to be back cheering for the Grizz and here you want to have fun. <laughs> well, one of the Ryans from the cat cast uh, picked Southern Utah. So I think he mm-hmm. went for your, you know, masochist ways. Yeah. Hey, I had Cal Poly. So, you know, they played one game close and got smoked twice and then just took their ball and went home. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Cal Poly is a bad football team. Um, okay, that's all we got for uh, message board. Mike, do you have Twitter up? Yeah, or? I got I got Twitter up. So, um, speaking of our our um, our friend over from the Tubs of the Club, the Idaho Vandals po- fan podcast, wanted your take on Grizz QBs and the next Grizz All American linebacker, which you kind of already answered. But uh, what what are your thoughts on? I know that you were kind of hitting at it earlier, but you you definitely think that this is Cam's job. Oh, might have lost Riley. Uh, Riley did you I do. I okay. <laughs> no, you got me. Yep, you got me good. Okay, geez. The to me for the quarterback side of things, I first off, I want to put this out there. I love Chris Brown, and I love what he's going to do as a Montana Grizzly. But to say right away that he should overtake Cam, a senior who has worked for this moment, number one, and that's beside the point. The best guy is going to get the job. But Chris Brown against Central Washington's number twos in the second half looked great, and everyone got really excited. But to me, I feel it's like a healthy battle of where you're at. And I think that more than anything else, it's Cam Humphrey. It's the keys of the car for Cam. And he just needed to shake off a little bit of rust and nerves. I know the, the locker room is confident in him of what he can do. And there's times where we expect so much out of the quarterback for the Montana Grizzlies. But Cam Humphrey, he's shown what he can do. I mean, wins at Portland State. You beat Eastern Washington at home. It's just a matter of, of getting out there with that unit. So, I love where the quarterback room's at because Chris Brown, how bright is the future with him? I mean, mm-hmm. which one of you guys is on board with that Chris Brown? I know there had to be one. In the oh, yeah. Is, no, is anyone am, in the camp here that Chris Brown should be starting on September 4th? I am in the Chris Brown, Brown camp. So 
but that's who I am. Rick no, will tell you. You're, want, you're, you're dying for a freshman to be quarterback. I am dying I for a four-year starter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> my, I mean, my, other Mike, big sky team gets him. Why can't we? <laughs> Mike, can we compromise on a three-year starter? Can yeah, I would, I would take a three-year okay. starter, I guess. How about, how about we work with that? How about we have Cam have a good year and stay healthy? Chris gets some valuable reps on games that – um, get out of hand in the second half, and then as a sophomore, Chris Brown's learned the ropes and ready to go. That's all in a perfect world. I, I think it's a great scenario because I'll throw a shot. We're you know we're into this thing a little bit. The the fans that are still listening are diehards. I would take either of the top two quarterbacks for Montana over anyone that's in the quarterback room over in Bozeman. I would say that with an unquestionable doubt. And so it's a good problem to have in that regard. But I still think like the pecking order is set. The coaches love Chris Brown and the leap he made from when we saw him in practices, closed practices to when we saw him against Central Washington, astronomical. And he's only going to continue to get better. But if I to pose the question to you that you have a national championship roster out there, would you be willing to take the lumps of a freshman? That might be an interesting question to pose as we enter September and October I just have a lot of confidence in Cam, and I think that maybe the struggles that we saw against Central Washington were more attributed to maybe rust and nerves than talent or ability. Fair. Awesome. Nice. I, I, uh, you know, that's all very rational. I'll just say that what if the bumps are, you know, equating to the ceiling of one guy and it's just going to be amazing? I'm just saying, you know? <laughs> I, I talked yeah. to culture about this, but the Chiefs had to make a decision and they benched Alex Smith when he was doing pretty good for Patrick Mahomes. I'm just saying. That, that's fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna post two just two hypotheticals out here. Well, not hypotheticals, but just two reasons of why I'm just I'm good with where I'm at. Number one, I love the way the schedule sets up. And I said this on Culture's show, but I think it's very valid. The Grizz open at Washington a game where they're going to be a significant underdog and no one expects them to win. And then you open up at home against Western Illinois, a team that is still Missouri Valley, but should be at the bottom of the Missouri Valley and the Grizz should be heavily favored to win. Night game at home at Wild Grizz, right? And then you have your bye week in week three. And I fully expect this coaching staff to treat these two, these first two games as more of, okay, if we have any more talent battles to go through, you have two games to assess even more so with that. And then once homecoming against Cal Poly starts on September 25th, you got your guy and can move forward. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, I'll go to my second point. This coaching staff, and I know I praise them a lot on the coaches' shows and everything in between, but I think it's well-deserved because they have more experience than an FCS, yeah. FCS staff has ever put together. Yep. So at the end of the day, if Tim Rosenbaum, Brent Pease, and Bobby Howe, the three guys that are really in charge of the offensive decision-making – if they go through all, all of practice and all of fall camp and the first two spring games, and they know that they have a national championship worthy team, I will trust their decision on whether they think the freshman is ready to have the keys to the car or if they're going to go with the experienced senior. Hey, Riley, really quick. You might want to have them talk to Mike, you know, because he's <laughs> – Dude. We're gonna we're gonna get coach we're gonna get you guys in coach's oh, office. By the way, God. awesome pod that you guys did with him. <laughs> we're know. gonna do this in fall camp. We need to get the four of us and coach Hauk 
and just go through fun scenarios. And I can play like moderator between the Grizz fan <laughs> oh, that could be fun. and Coach Howe. Let's oh, do that, God. boys. Let's that would be let's, really fun. Let's do yep, that. Let's, let's book it. <laughs> Luke, I swear to God, I hope they never ask me about personnel. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, anyway, honestly, in Bobby Houck's sarcastic tone, I felt, I figured it out after two years how to – like I know my role. I know when coaches, <laughs> when coaches, right? Like, hey, I know when not to fight back. But I would be curious to just see how you would react on Coach Grill and you. Well, Mike, what do you think? Well, Mike, why would you make that decision? He may. You better know. You better got. Some, you better have some reason. Well, he kind of did when we were talking about the transfer portal, and he's like, "Well, you know, that's actually been around for a while." It's like, yeah, like you know what I'm asking. <laughs> okay, all right, <laughs> we'll move on here. Hey, Brent, uh, one directed s- straight to you, actually. Ooh. Who is your, who is your Mount Rushmore of Centerville athletes? Oh. Yeah, Centerville, my adopted um, Class C uh, powerhouse school. <laughs> um, so I did a little bit of research on this, actually. And uh, <laughs> I found one guy. All right. And uh, his name is Bill Zupan. And Bill played for Centerville basketball uh, in the the early fifties. Uh, qualified for state, he actually um, actually uh, that's when he was the head coach. When he he unfortunately went to the wrong school. He went to Montana State, but what, we won't hold that over him. He went there before and then after World War II because he served during the war. And then um, a crowning achievement for. Uh, the Montana state football team. He was on the first MSU team that went to a bowl game and ended up in a tie. And we know the cats always count ties as wins. And so, you know, it was their first bowl win. So Bill Zupan, uh, basketball player, uh, all around athlete, and then basketball coach for Centerville uh, is definitely one of those guys outside of that. I have no clue. Okay. The follow-up question to this for some weird reason was, What's the best song you played as a DJ to grind to at Stocks? So I was not a DJ in Stocks. I was a DJ at Faruqi's. And so oh, I would oh, hope oh. I would hope Father Fur. Isn't that 52, the birthday shot? That's the birthday shop. That's the flaming Lamborghini. Shot yeah. The, yeah. So I will not dignify that question with an answer because you did not know where I DJ'd at. <laughs> Get it right, Father Fur 52. All right. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. Okay. Um, quickly. Another question, what positions are the Grizz deeper than the Cats? And I, I'll take this moment to point out that we were talking earlier about the Grizz being favored in games, and our Montana Mint colleague, uh, Montana Parlay, would point out that the Grizz were favored in all four of the recent Cat-Grizz games and lost them. So with that being said, what positions are we deeper than the Cats? I'm going to say QB, wide receiver, I, I, are we, you want me to jump in? Yeah, on I do. Absolutely. I, I'm going to say, I would agree with you. Quarterback receiver. I think corner. Mm-hmm. I, I think safety. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm going to go this, so this one might stir the pot because of one Troy Anderson, but I would say linebacker. I, I would say the Grizz are deeper at linebacker. I mean, there's Troy Anderson and there's Calhan O'Reilly but strength in numbers, I, I would take the Grizz linebacking core. I would, to not to deliberately stir the pot, but I truly think that the, the position groups that those five to me, and then 
I'd go as far to say every single specialist position as well, which will make a difference, I think. So kick returner, punt returner, kickoff, punt, like all of those spots too. But the ones that are definitively better, wide receiver, quarterback, linebacker, safety, corner. Am I missing any guys? Is there any position groups that you think need to jump out to? No, I think that I think we may have better talent at the tight end position, but I mean our depth took a hit, so I don't know if we're deeper. Um, definitely not running back. And their lines are good, you know, very good. So I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch. Um, okay. Random situation from Silvertip here on on Twitter. All right, so pick one. Sacrifice the entirety of OD's time with the Grizz if it meant that oh, it wiped out man. the Cats' rivalry victories of the last four years and the Grizz beat the Cats for the next four years. Or keep OD but lose to the Cats for the next four years, two of which knocks us out of the playoffs. I mean, there's no contest here, right? I love you, OD, but nobody's above the program. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is – that's so – you're, that's you're basically – that's You're mean. basically telling is. me that it's eight straight Grizz wins over the Cats if we never had OD. That's, that's tough. Man. See? That's, that I don't is, like that one. That's, I hate that. That's, that's, a ba- that's a bad question. Silver tip. You're putting us in a bad spot. <laughs> I know, and here we are. I, OD, I, would like to, I would like to ask OD that question. So OD retweeted <laughs> us today because Brent's been uh, <laughs> keeping track of his coin flipping coin. stats. <laughs> and he said he's 0-2 on the coin flip, definitely on the hot seat. So. <laughs> All right, let's see if I got any more in here we need to hit on. Uh, a couple guys are uh, giving you a hard time about your haircut. I don't know. Brad Reed says you yeah. need to go to the barber. Um <laughs> Really? I just got my, I just, I like, I just got my hair cut a little bit ago. What do I need to do here? Hey guys, face for radio, face for radio. And hold on. Brad Reed's giving fast. Exactly. <laughs> like, dude, Brad, like Brad, I love you. Perfect. I love you, man. But if you're calling out my hairstyle, man, what, what, what the hell's his hairstyle considered? Oh, if you ever wonder why Brad's never taken his hat off around you, this is uh-huh. why. Bingo. Exactly. <laughs> All exactly. Right. Come on, Brad. I'm going to give that guy shit. That's fine. All right. Hey, Riley, tell our listeners where all they can find you, uh, listen to your stuff, find you online, et cetera, et cetera. At Voice of the Grizz on Twitter. That was one of the coolest things I didn't realize when I grabbed the Twitter handle the day before that it got announced for the job. I'm glad I did because it's very, it's very fitting. But I, uh, um, everything I, I pretty much put out, I tweet out there. I'm on with Coulter at Nuanez now, 102.90 ESPN Missoula on Mondays and Tuesdays. But we're all the coaches' shows and the podcasts. And again, what I love about what you guys do and what I do when it comes to a podcast and put out is it's entirely different in the sense of Grizz fans can get every single angle. You guys mm-hmm. do something different than what I'm putting out there with with podcast material for the Inside the Den. So I do encourage all Grizz fans to check out gogrizz.com slash Inside the Den. I am always open to um, suggestions on what you guys want. I feel that, and I I take great pride in this, of being the one that maybe can bridge the gap from the, the communication gap sometimes from the athletic department to the fans. So if you want to hear from somebody or you want to hear about something, let me know. Tweet out at me. Let me know. And I would love to get it out on the podcast. But gogris.com slash inside the den. That's all the 
archived edition for the coaches shows and the podcast and on Twitter at voice of the Grizz. That's, that's where you pretty much find me on uh, everything here for content I'll put out. Absolutely. Well, Riley, you talked about, um, you know, re- replacing Mick and how that was such a tough thing, but you know, I think you did it so well because you changed the job. I mean, it is, I think the expectation of that position now and moving forward is just so different because you're doing all these things where you help us get to know other sports and other, other programs in the, in the university on the podcast and calling games and stuff like that. So I think we're lucky to have you around if you want to stick around for a while longer. Well, I appreciate you guys. And, and I appreciate this place a lot. And, and if it hasn't come out in the last hour and a half or so, I mean, the passion I have for the university of Montana and my job, I would hope is unmatched. I, I love this place. I, I feel it's a dream job when I'm prepping from 10 o'clock to two in the morning on Mondays and Tuesdays at game week, it doesn't feel like work because I love it. And I hope that that comes out in the broadcast and what makes this place so cool. And, you know, there's spots in this broadcasting industry that it, it's interesting because you can move up or you can continue to climb the ladder or continue to, to reach that, that ultimate goal where you might not be satisfied along the way. I, I feel that the university of Montana in this job, is a sweet spot because people care. People care about what you do and what you say for every show. And every time I take the mic and that's a responsibility that just know for everyone out there as a Montana native, I don't take that for granted. And I appreciate everyone out there, including the three of you for the passion that you have for Grizzly athletics, man, because that, that's what makes this job fun. I mean, I, it's year round nonstop, no matter where I go, it's, it's asking a question or talking about Grizz athletics. You don't get that everywhere. And I try and tell my colleagues like that around the country that this place is special. And I don't think that you really understand it until you're here. So um, I guess that's my my final parting message. I thank you guys for having me on. And I would absolutely love to do this again, more on a regular basis and in person next time where I can see, I can grade Luke's ipa pick because i am a big <laughs> ipa guy so yep. i'm on board for all of that he's got to bring something other than it. the ipa too because i'm not so mm. <laughs> okay. he, drink he can do that he... hey i had i had a i had a health kettle house hey there we go you well. got the honey half yeah honey half. yeah it's good stuff. No strange haze i got some of those all right see we're good here right, right we did we have one more question how are you feeling about that 83 you shot the other day not, you looked at my handicap. I might Wait, hold on. Did you see Brown before that? The round before that was <laughs> you know, I, I, six. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, with my handicap adjustment, eighty-six. Now. I shot the other day. I think I would have got you. I am Great. like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in perfect April mode right now. You're right. Oh, that, you're sandbagging. That chapped yeah. me. It was that yeah. double oh. bogey. You know, I. I, I'm getting ready for that member member guest. You know, I'm just getting ready for that thing. But you gotta you push know, that handicap golf, up to a ten, buddy. Tinkered. Get it up to a ten. You're good to go there. Get that thing up. Oh man. Well, you know, I would say nobody if anybody listens to this pod expecting me or Brent or Luke to be, you know accurate or intelligent about any of this stuff, you're on the wrong pod. We are absolutely just fans. Um, but with that being said, Riley, it's been great to have you. And we always like to shout out the QB club. So go grizz.com slash QB club. Um, Cause there's a lot of, a lot of insider stuff of, of the football team and um, kind of great stuff there. Brent, anything else from you? Good to go over here. Luke, anything from you? Nope. Just thanks Riley. Riley, anything from you? 
I, I just want to thank you guys again for your passion, for putting this out there, for all the fans. Grizz Nation, you make this place awesome. And uh, let's do this again. Let's at least make this like a couple times a year type thing. I am so down to jump on with you guys and very eager for the beer next time. All right. We can do it again. We got nothing else. So uh, if you see us before the next show, which God knows when that's going to be because it's the off season. We'll see you then. If not, we'll see you online. Our Twitter is at GrizzFanPod, or you can find us all over the place. Go Grizz! Right on. Right on.